Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Well, it's a frequently used quote, isn't it? Those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. Well, there's some argument as to who said it. It could have been uh, Edmund Burke. He said a lot of things like that. Spanish philosopher George Santayana might have said it too. And you've always got the default sayer of all quotations, Winston Churchill as well. Uh, It certainly applies to a lot of situations. But what about the stock market? Can historical trends and precedents help guide you to prudent stock purchases in the future? Joining us tonight for a look at 2023, Roger Montgomery, Chief Investment Officer at Montgomery Investments. Roger, good evening and welcome back. Happy New Year and good to be with you again. Yes. Can I can I just say mm. I I spent a year having cold showers, totally cold. Didn't start hot and go to cold. I got into a cold shower for twelve months. And did you were your stock picking any better? I got no, but I got. <laughs> I tell you what, I did. I got, I got. I preferred cold showers to hot water. I felt more. I felt cleaner after a cold shower, and and that's probably not right. Did you say it's just a perception? Well, just yeah, of course. Yeah. No, no, mm-hmm. did the whole thing. Got very used to it. But part of the motivation for doing it was that I'd read or heard um, that it's good for your immune system, and it just coincidentally happened to be the year that I had the worst flu I've ever had in my entire life. So. Oh. Okay. Didn't help me very much. Well, you're on solid ground here because our our expert last night uh, gave us chapter and verse. Said there is evidence, mm. there is evidence, hard evidence that having he wasn't recommending the whole cold water mm. experience. He said, mm. no, have your normal shower, you know, mm. soap up, shampoo, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Shave if you like, or do whatever you do. But at the end, thirty seconds of cold water, mm. and he. He recommended box breathing to get through the pain and agony of it all, which yes. is a form of. Uh, Deep breathing. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> not he, breathing at he, all. He said, he <laughs> asserts that the evidence suggests that there are very solid health com- health outcome, positive health outcomes. Yeah, so maybe it was just a coincidence I'd had the worst Have you continued on with it? Have you continued No, on? after that event, I... Um, Oh. I just thought I may as well just go back to normal showers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Uh, if you've got questions for Roger, one three hundred eight hundred triple two, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. There are uh, there are lines free. Now there have mm. been charts of the stock market ever since stock markets began. Yeah, to, uh, <laughs> do past do, does past performance help us predict future performance? To, to be clear, we're not talking about charting. No. Um, what we're talking about is a, a normal distribution of returns over a period of time. So if you imagine that we go back all the way back to 1872 mm. and, and we have a brick for each year and we place that brick on sand – we have a, a line in the sand, and over on the far left-hand side, minus 40%, mm-hmm. and over on the far right-hand side is positive 50%. And whatever happened in that particular year, we label each, uh, each brick with a year. Whatever happened, we place it on that spot where, based on its return, so minus 40, minus 30, minus 20, and so on, mm-hmm. to plus 20, plus 30, plus 40% returns. And we find some interesting observations. The first one is that the highest stack of bricks will actually be between 10 and 20%. So if we go all the way back to 1872, the most common outcome uh, for returns for the stock market, and this is the S&P 500 in the United States, is actually between 10 and 20%. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we, we find is if we look at the very worst years, the years where the market fell between 30 and 50%, well, there were three. There was 1931, 1937, and 2008. And what's really interesting is after those years, 
after those really, really bad years, what we find is that the, the pendulum almost swung completely back the other way. The other way. And the, the following years were either plus 20%, plus 30%, or plus 50%. So history suggests that there's, that there's a reaction to the really, really bad years. And it's often followed, not always, but often followed by a very, very good year. And then another observation which kind of reinforces this, is if we look at returns going back about a hundred and about a hundred years, um, we find that clusters of negative years, because the fear is after last year's sell-off, Phil, that you know it was it's, grim. it's grim and it's dangerous, and this year could be another bad year. Uh, so people tend not to want to invest after bad news. What they tend to do is wait for all the good news. And then, then invest. Then pile, then pile and, and of course, you pay a very high price for that. And, and the higher the price you pay, the lower your return. So what we find is that going back about 100 years, there was only one instance where we had four consecutive negative years, and that was during the Great Crash. And that was between 1929 and 1932. There were three periods uh, where we had uh, three – sorry, two periods where we had three consecutive losing years. Mm-hmm. And only two year, two periods where we had two consecutive losing years. So it's rare. It's rare for negative years to cluster. It's more common for them to stand alone. Okay. And history also suggests that when you have a particularly bad year, and last year ranks in the top eight worst years. Is that right? Since yes, yeah, since eighteen seventy two. Really? Yes. I haven't seen that. Yep. So 1907. So 2022. 2022. Ranks us in the top eight worst years since the late 19th century. Actually nine. Top nine top years. Nine. Top nine years wow. since 1872. It, it felt bad. It was bad. It was, and that, that was, there was a reason for that. Yes, that's <laughs> right. And so, so what tends to happen um, according to history, and of course, we're just looking at the past. We doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think it predicts the future. Mm. Um, we could have a new, we could be starting a series of five negative years. We just don't know. Um, but you would say, but I would suggest, historically, that would be very unlikely. Very unlikely because capitalism being what it is and mm. people wanting to make money and fearing missing out, when stocks become very cheap and companies, and what's interesting is companies are continuing to earn not even though you hear all the headlines about the economy doing poorly or the economy is about to tip into recession in Australia and the United States, there are companies that are still growing their earnings at double-digit rates. Here's a, here's a question. I, I don't know whether this is true, but it just suddenly occurred to me. Is it the case that today the market is more liquid than it used to be? Uh, in I, other words, there are certainly more transactions now than there ever used yes. to be. Is, is, the, is the fact that the market, if it is more liquid... Does that mean that that's, that swings and roundabouts are going to be wilder? Well, well, there's one there's one school of, one school of thought that believes the you know the advent of high frequency trading, for example, mm. which adds to liquidity in the market. Yeah. Um, there's one school of thought that says that that hasn't been good for mm. the market mm-hmm. because uh, price price for retail investors, for example, we end up paying a higher price. Uh, but there's another school of thought says that it adds to liquidity, makes it easier for people to get in and out, yeah. uh, and therefore um, is value adding uh, for investors. So there's there's the schools out, the, the verdicts out on that. Um, and I personally believe that sh- things like short selling 
and high frequency trading um, shouldn't have make any difference to yours and my investment returns because mm. we're investing for the long term. We're investing in businesses that we believe will add value over years. And so what hap- whether I buy at $9.51 or $9.52 shouldn't make any difference. Of course, if you got him in Adani, you'd say, it's making a lot of difference to me right now. Yeah, indeed. Mm. Indeed. But mm. it's also finding out if, if there was indeed a fraud, and I'm not suggesting there was, but if there was indeed a fraud, then that report has exposed it. Is that a good thing? I think it probably is. Yeah, well, it probably certainly is. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, by the aptly named Hindenburg. Indeed. Indenburg. <laughs> yes. Going down in flames. Uh, all right. So just back on this. So you say historically uh, it's very unusual to, to have consecutive negative years. It is. It's rare. It's not. 2022 was the ninth. One of the nine. One of the nine. One of the nine worst, worst years, years since 1872. Including the Great Recession. Yes. Including well, the, the Great Crash of Well, the Great Crash is in there. Yes. The okay. uh, Yeah, that's in there. Gee, that's interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, the market certainly started the year very positively. Yeah, well, it? it has this year. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's right. The, I mean, that's right. The the 2023 market. Yes. Yeah. Would... And and part of the reason is you might remember the last time we got together at the end of last year, I was explaining to everybody, and it took a, a little bit of time, hmm. but I was explaining that if a company, if you buy a company on 10 times its earnings, let's say it's earning $10 or $5, it's earning $5, you pay 10 times the earnings for those shares. You're paying $50 a share. If in the future, three years' time, four years' time, five years' time, you sell the stock on the same price-to-earnings multiple, hmm. then your return will equal the earnings growth rate of the company. So whatever rate the earnings grow at, that is going to equal your return from the shares because the popularity of the shares haven't changed. They're still People are still willing to buy and sell shares at 10 times the earnings in five years' time. So therefore, you're going to get the, the growth rate of the earnings. So it's beholden on every investor to one, buy businesses whose earnings are growing at a terrific rate and find, and that's where all the work is mm. in investing, finding companies that can grow their earnings at a double digit rate and sustainably so. But it's also beholden on you to pay a very low PE ratio if you can. And last year, the bulk of the sell-off if you attribute the sell-off, it wasn't earnings declining that caused share prices to fall. It was people less willing to pay high multiples for those earnings. So they, they the, as interest rates went up, people became scared and they repriced shares hmm. and the PE ratio came down. The present value of future earnings also came down. So that was a fundamental change to the intrinsic value. But the price to earnings ratio, the multiple of earnings people were willing to pay was lower. And during those times, the lower the price you pay, I said this right at the start, the lower the price you pay, the higher your return. So if you can find at a low PE ratio, a business that's growing at double digit rates, you'll make an exceptional return if you hold it for long enough, even if stocks don't become popular again. But it's highly likely based on what we just talked about, based on the historical record, it's highly likely stocks will become popular again. Not only will you get the earnings growth rate as your return, but you will also get the uplift that happens as stocks become more popular. Uh, Roger, says my texter, just wondering if you know anything about an investment company called Validus. No. So I have some friends who have invested, but they're offering 300% on a 60-week investment, which sounds dodgy to me. 
I didn't say that. He said that, he said or that. she said that. And I, um, I'm nodding my head. <laughs> yes, we're silently nodding our, our heads. heads, not saying a word. Mm. No, Roger's not heard of, of of Validus. John says it's not a good time to invest in the Chinese balloon industry, which is probably no, that's right, right. probably right as yes. well. Still, so yes, but, but well, you've been. You've been bullish about this year from last year. Yes, too. indeed. Uh, and you, you and I know you take note of these things, so oh, yeah, no, we, my we, head's on the block. We, we've got a report card on you. So, so, uh, but you would say that based on the historical data, there is some, uh, there is some room for for that view as well. What about the fundamentals well, itself, though? Look, yeah, okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, I agree. You know, do so, the fundamentals support the view that twenty twenty three might be. Well, it's might important be a recover- to, an important recovery. It's important to understand we are talking in generalities, of course. but we're investing in individual businesses. Yeah. So, for example, Nick Scarley reported their half-yearly result recently, mm. and revenue was up significantly, profits were up significantly, but the second half of the first half, if you like, or the second quarter of the year, um, that that was poorer and weaker than the first quarter. So there was a, the numbers were really good for the first half, but there was a deterioration in the second part of the first half. Mm, and mm. then the January update, that continued. So what's happening now is as, we, as, as companies re, uh, report, particularly retail companies, as they report their first half results, the first quarter, what you've got to remember is the first half of the first half, the first quarter of the year, financial year, is comparing a period that was in lockdown. But the second part is comparing it to a reopening. So it becomes tougher to beat the numbers going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the consequence is that um, not only are numbers deteriorating or suffering as consumers pull back now after Christmas spending, not only are companies going to suffer from that, but there's also the comparison issue. So you're comparing to a very strong period um, previously as economies reopened, people spent big, and and now you're comparing to that, and it's going to look a lot tougher. So the comparisons aren't going to look as good, um, and the nominal downturn is occurring, it seems to be. So the reason I say all that, Phil, is because it's all very well talking in generalities and saying, look, I think you know this year could be a good year in the stock market, hmm. but it's just important to remember we do need to isolate specific companies that we believe have bright prospects. But I think overall, I think the stock market will have a better year than last year. And let me say this, if it's another negative year, so if we get two negative years in a row, um, then the following year, I'm going to be even more bullish because you know it's it's extremely rare to have three consecutive years uh, that are negative. In fact, historically, you would say that's right. You'd say ex- historically, extremely rare. Indeed, it twice has only, only happened twice. Twice since eighteen seventy two. Yeah, well, mm. <laughs> that should give you some reassurance. Indeed, uh, even though uh, I mean, what even though it looks as though the Reserve Bank's trying to strangle the economy with with in, with increased interest rates uh, in an effort to save it. I mean, I mean, are they? Are they failing to resuscitate the patient but killing it on the operating table? Well, they care more about inflation because Mm. the inflation inflation is the priority uh, because under under high inflation, if inflation becomes entrenched, so if you and I, it's all very well experiencing inflation now, but if we experience it for long enough, we begin to expect it. Mm. And when, when when it's entrenched, when inflationary expectations become entrenched, 
then what happens is it's very, very hard to reverse because you and I always think prices are going to go up and they're going yep. to go up a lot. So we buy now and guess what our buying does? Drives prices higher. And so it, it becomes this vicious circle, if you like. And so it's really important that we nip that in the bud. And that's what the central bank is concerned about. In the US, it's exactly the same thing. They just raised 25 basis. They raised interest rates another 25 basis points. Um, Even though they think that inflation is peaked. Yes, but do you remember I said to you at the start of last year that what will happen is inflation will peak, but interest rates will continue to go up because they'll they'll want to try and normalise, central banks will want to try and normalise rates so that if we have a recession, they've got plenty of room to move down again. Uh, and that's precisely what's happening. So even what do you think it, they might go to? Oh, that's anyone's guess. You know, I, <laughs> I get know. asked that question all the time, oh, but no. I don't well, know. Well, it's 3.35 now, then mm. they're saying there'll be more on the way. Well, I would have thought another two or three 25 basis point hikes is not out of out of the realms of possibility. So somewhere under 4.5. Yeah. So in the United States, they've seen their rates go from their, – their rates have gone from 10 basis points to 475 basis points. You know, they've mm. seen a very, very sharp increase, something that they have, no one alive today that's investing actively has experienced before. But I think they're doing, you know, they're doing everything that they can to quell inflation to the extent that it doesn't become entrenched in expectations. And that's the most important thing. We can, we can survive a recession. In fact, arguably, there are some benefits to a recession. What it does is it corrects misallocations of capital. There are lots of people um, who've been employed in businesses that make no profit. And the only reason why those companies exist is because of the altruism of shareholders and lenders who've continued to support, support speculative, what I call profitless prosperity companies. Mm. Um, is that is that is that a good thing? I think it's a misallocation of resources. We've seen businesses, for example, in the boom that we've just experienced. We saw businesses that were allowed to become dominant and kill incumbent businesses, even though they themselves weren't profitable. And I'm thinking of businesses like Uber, for example. You know, that really put a fire stick in uh, the incumbent taxi business, um, and arguably, some would argue, are delivering a better product. Um, but they never, they haven't made any money. They haven't made any significant money, and they were supported artificially for for nine or ten years. Hmm. Uh, my text, uh, Ian from Perth, says, "Phil or Roger, are there any stats on how Australian shares have performed compared to international shares over L the years?" Lots of stats. Lots uh, of stats on do, that. What do they say broadly? Well, Ian wants to know. The conclusion is that you probably should be invested in both. There are years mm. where the Australian market does better, and years where it doesn't do as well. One of the unique things of the about the Australian market is we have a very, very significant weighting to resources. Mm. So if you're thinking about the market in general, so the ASX 200, we're a resource um, exporting country. Almost a third, mm. almost a third of our index is weighted to resources. Now you compare that to the S and P 500; it's about five, four or five percent. Yep. And we also have a very significant weight, over 20%, to four banks. Mm. Now, and you don't see that in the United States as well. So you're arguably not getting exposure to all the different cogs in the economic wheel. It should be in both, in other words. Indeed. Yep. Haig from Avondale Heights says, please ask Roger about his opinion of short selling. Well, I think you've already given your opinion, haven't you? Uh, yeah. I mean, there are people who are quite negative about short selling. And, you know, the Hindenburg example, just to catch uh, just so everyone catches up on this uh, there's an american research company issued a report about adani this is the mob that are doing that coal mine in queensland which uh, has put the 
put the skids under Adani Worldwide. I think it's lost 40% of its value, mm. maybe more, mm. uh, because they've, they've alleged there's rorting in the company and all sorts of things, practices. However, Hindenburg aren't doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. They're short sellers. Yes. And so uh, so it, that particular so type is, of this, short selling this, is this, very they've made, question- they've made a lot of money out of their report. Indeed. What they've done is they've spent six or eight years, and, and, and you can Google the report. It's very easy yep. to find the report. So if you Google Hindenburg Adani report, It'll be the top ranking thing, and you can read the report. Um, there's an executive summary at the start; it has eight or ten bullet points. You reckon it would um, take them six years to put together? They took. They say in the report they researched for six years. They went and visited. Okay. They they extracted from some countries entire corporate registers wow. to find out. So they put a lot of work. Into they it. put a lot of work into this, and they believe that you know there was artificial support. They report that there was artificial support for the share prices. There were shelf companies run by relations to um, the CEO uh, that the only purpose of those companies was to own shares in Adani. The only purpose was to buy shares in Adani. So, you know, that there's there's stock manipulation or they're, they're accusing the company of stock manipulation. Um, so, you know, does... Is that providing a service? Yes, probably. I, yeah. I, I would argue. I mean, one of the arguments isn't that there are so many boosters of the stock market that yes. that if short sellers are, are trying to put the skids out of the market, well, then that's a necessary. That's a that's not a bad correction. And that's either. an argument I haven't heard, but that's a yeah. that's a valid argument. Mm. The most short selling doesn't cause share prices to fall. It can. What the reports about why short sellers are selling mm. causes buyers to pull back and the buyers aren't willing to pay as high a price. See, my problem with it has always been that short sellers will say anything to, to drive the stock price down. However... But if they say it fraudulently, if they're fraud, right. if they're there fraudulent, are laws there, against there that. are laws against that. Yes, there are laws against it. That's true. Stock promotion and stock ramping and the reverse mm. in that case. Phil says, Roger and Phil, this is another Phil texting you, saying, is there an ASX ETF, exchange traded fund in other words, for the top 50 US shares? I don't know about the top 50, but there's but certainly the top dri- 500. You can and see the, what he's driving at. Yeah. There's one for the Dow Jones, I believe, as well. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. The answer is yes. There is. I think so. There's some some version of that. Mm. Yeah. And by the way, on that Validus thing, Tom from Werribee says, Phil, enjoying the show. By the way, ASIC and the ASIC website has a specific warning about investing in this Validus thing. So, Well, I'm not surprised. Run a country mile, people. Yes, exactly. Uh, another couple of a couple of texters texting in on that saying, "Yeah, don't go anywhere, anywhere near it." Um, Nathan from Kellyville, evening, Phil. Good show, thanks, Nathan. Please ask Roger on his views on investing in lithium mining companies. Uh, whether, whether he can mention which companies to follow. Well, we talked about the we talked about the EV theme, the electric yep. vehicle theme last year and the year before, and there are in the small companies index in Australia. The, the the issue is that there aren't, and that's where you get a lot of these lithium companies, none of them are producers. So this is in the small cap index. Mm-hmm. We own, in our small cap fund, we own three lithium companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we believe that there's merit in the thematic, but we've bought and sold those shares because um, at times the, the sentiment towards these companies gets a little bit ahead of the fundamentals. And when that happens, the shares become, 
expensive and buying them at that price doesn't give you a great return. So we decide to sell. So we've been in and out of them a few times. Um, the lithium story is one where is one where there is over a long period of time, if all the demand, if if the entire world's car fleet became electric, which I think is an impossibility, by mm. the way, but if they all became electric... There's not enough lithium in the world. Yes. It, the lithium price would go through the roof. And by default, that would mean people would continue to buy internal combustion engine cars because... Ice, car, ice cars. Uh, ice cars. <laughs> we'll call them ice cars. Um, you know, th- There's this economic rebalancing there's an equilibrium point if lithium becomes too expensive then the cars are too expensive people don't buy them and so there's a self-correcting mechanism mm-hmm. uh, in economics um so look and there's alternative technologies just remember that oh and don't believe for a moment that the entire australian car fleet is going to be electric anytime soon no, it's not. it'll be at least two and a half decades at yeah, least two and a half decades before you see all cars on the road electric, if that ever happens. If it ever happens. If you'd like to uh, ask, uh, I want to ask you about department stores in a moment yes. too, because that's an interesting thing. Just a couple of calls here. Luke in Dubbo. Uh, hi, Luke. Hello. How are you? Not too bad. That's it. Uh, I've got a question for Roger. Yeah. Um, just looking at uh, Sol Pattinson um, as a long-term investment, uh, what is Roger's thoughts on, on that particular company? Well, the Milner family are some of the best investors Australia's ever seen. You know, I think that's, uh, you know, it's a terrific, uh, a terrific uh, business. Um, your return ultimately will be dependent on the price that you pay, um, but you, you're investing with very good people who have a great reputation. All right, Luke. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, Brian from Caratha. G'day, Brian. How you going, mate? Not too bad. What's your question? Well... I'm looking at retiring in a couple of years, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering if I should invest in, like, say, barefoot investments. Oh, you mean you've been you've been following the barefoot investor book, uh, Brian? Yeah, I've, I've heard about it. I yeah, it's it's a, it's a guide to how you should manage your finances. Yeah. 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 We've we've uh, talked to the author here a couple of times in the program. Yeah. Okay. Great. Mm. You're wondering what you should do with you've you've got superannuation, I presume, have you, Brian, or not? Yeah, a little bit. Yep. I'm, I'm just wondering if, like, because I, I have a potential of uh, earning good money. Hmm. Uh, I don't uh, have so much in my super. Can Can I suggest just it? It's a special skill to be able to invest successfully uh, directly, and it requires a huge amount of research. Um, you have to bring to the market what we call an edge. You have to uh, have some insight that others don't have. Um, you have to have oodles of patience, um, and there's a lot to learn. My suggestion would be to speak to uh, an independent advisor. So it could be the barefoot investor. It could be wh- whomever you like. And find out what funds they recommend would be suitable for you. They have to... They have to dig into your financial circumstances and your needs, um, but then there'll be a bunch of funds that will be appropriate for your risk profile, and and that's what I would that's what I would suggest. Now they may suggest low fee um, 
equity index funds. You know, they may suggest exchange traded funds, for example, or they may suggest that that becomes the core of your portfolio and a little bit of your portfolio goes into some actively managed funds. But again, I don't know your financial needs and circumstances, so I'm just guessing. But I don't think, um, just hearing your question, I don't think you should be thinking about investing in shares directly because that would likely be a, a punt rather than an investment, and there's yep. huge risk in that. Good advice, Brian. I think it's the, the best advice that Roger's offering. Haig says, should Adelaide and Bendigo Bank merge with the Bank of Queensland? I don't know. <laughs> what does he think? <laughs> come on, uh, come on, Roger. <laughs> look, I, no, no, look no. it's interesting. I, you know, I, I didn't know there was a merger proposal. Just, on. Is, there, is there a merger proposal? Well, I'll think about – let me answer it from mm. the ACCC perspective. Mm. Mm. You know, it's interesting that – that often a better competitor emerges when you allow companies to merge. Hmm. But often that's prevented from happening and you end up with weaker competition against the incumbents. What we know from APRA and the RBA um, is that they in the past have tried to encourage a more level playing field um, and they've changed the requirements of the big banks and made it more expensive for the big banks, um, for example, uh, in the mortgage market. Uh, than for the smaller banks. Uh, so there is a levelling of the playing field which is desired. And if a merger of a merger of those banks uh, makes things better for consumers and for competition, um, by definition they're both yeah. related, that's a good thing. Okay. Uh, Carl from Badalan. G'day, Carl. Yeah, how are you going? Not bad. Uh, yeah, Roger, I've got a question for you. Sure. Based on your knowledge and your experience, considering that with modern technology being what it is and everybody uses algorithms for everything now, uh, do you think that there's another way to slow down inflation rather than basically steal money off the working public and give it straight to the banks? Yeah, that's a loaded question because inflation is stealing money from workers, right? So You're paying higher price for goods. Yeah, that's exactly right. Jacking up the interest rate every month, right? Yep. Is they're taking money out of your pocket and giving it directly to the banks with you getting absolutely no benefit? Yeah, the, the difference is that the volume, as interest rates go up, the volume of uh, the, the rate of growth in mortgages actually slows. People aren't willing to borrow as much money and so they don't buy as many houses and so the banks actually don't grow their profits as quickly. So what they want is they want, banks want a higher margin. They want interest rates to go up. They make more money when interest rates go up. That is true. But they also need something called credit growth. And if we get a recession, which is quite possible if interest rates keep going up, then credit growth slows down and, and stops. So they don't get everything their way. Do they, um, are they, do they actually make money directly? I mean, if the, if the RBA raises rates, don't the banks have to pay more? more, more to The to cost let, of to, their to, funding to, goes up. Because banks um, borrow the money to lend to you. That's right. The cost of their funding goes up. But generally what happens is the higher the rate, the higher the margin. They, banks make most of their money when um, credit spreads are wide. So the mm. difference between safe bonds and risky bonds is the widest. They make a lot of money when the yield curve is steepest and they make a lot of money when interest rates are up. Okay. Um, so they need all three, really, to be working for them. At the moment, we've only got one of those three. Okay. Thanks, Carl. One three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number.
Uh, Lewis says, does Roger think we'll have a crash market adjustment this year? What percentage chance? Well, no, we've answered that question. Well, I think you know, we had one last year, and I think this year, year that's right. this year would be very unusual if it Paul, happened again. Paul says, my question is, investing in overseas equities brings arbitrage into the equation. I don't understand this question. Which instrument would be cost-effective and safe to reduce this risk? Well, arbitrage is, arbitrage is something you do to try and make money. So right. everything has risk. So uh, I, I engage in something called post-announcement arbitrage. So, for example, in the United States, Microsoft announced the takeover of a company called Activision at $95 a share. Mm-hmm. The shares have languished. Activision shares have sat at about $76 for a very long time. They initially jumped up to about $85 US yep. uh, when the uh, takeover was announced. And there's a lot of hoops and a lot of regulation to get through. And in fact, um, the US's uh, version of the ACCC are attempting to block the acquisition of Activision by Microsoft. So the shares are lower than $95. Arbitrage is saying, okay, well, I'm going to buy the shares today at $75, believing that and confident that this is one example of arbitrage. I'm confident that Microsoft will buy those shares from me when they finally are approved to take over the company at $95 a share. And in fact, Warren Buffett has bought billions of dollars worth of Activision stock, believing that to be the case uh, in, at Berkshire Hathaway. So um, that's an example of arbitrage. I'm not sure the question uh, is approaching arbitrage the right way. I, I, I fear that um, that the perception is that all arbitrage is bad when in fact what arbitrage does in the old days remember when there used to be uh, not one australian stock exchange but there was a sydney stock exchange and a mm-hmm. melbourne stock exchange was, and an yeah. adelaide stock mm-hmm. exchange and so forth well what would happen then is people who were fortunate enough to have a phone um and access to a broker in both cities they could buy bhp in melbourne at a, if it was trading at a lower price and sell it for a few cents more in Sydney. <laughs> and that's arbitrage. Um, Gee, that so, was an easy way to make money. And, and what arbitrage does is it makes the market more efficient. It makes those 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 odd pricings that shouldn't exist. It closes the gap. Okay. Uh, do you, have you heard of Angus Securities? No. No. Okay. Uh, one, one th- I like these questions. They're easy to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another one from Raylene. Hi, Raylene. Hi, good evening. Hi, um, Roger, I was just um, curious about Imugene shares. Do you, um, I bought them at 22 cents and they're going down, 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 down. Why did you but buy them? Like a, uh, I, I like the idea of them creating a new vaccine and curing cancer, but anyway. Yep, okay. So it was a sort of an ethical investment for you. Um, yes. Yep. And did you do the work on your own or did someone recommend them to you? No, I did the work on my own. I just, uh, yeah, I just picked them up one day and thought, oh yeah, rub with those. Okay. And so, so, okay. So what you've, what you've done is, is fascinating because you've, you've bought into a thematic or into a story, but what you haven't done is fundamentally valued those shares. So um, a company can have a great story, but if it's, if everybody's, uh, if everybody's on board with that story, if everyone's been excited by that story and they've bought the shares, what they do is they've pushed them up to a very high price. And unfortunately, what that can mean is that can reduce your return. Now, it could be that they succeed in what they're attempting to do and the share prices go way beyond what you pay. Um, yep. The key now is probably just to ask yourself whether or not the story is still correct, whether the reason for you investing 
is still the case. So you're going to have to read all the reports the company has um, announced um, and released and all of the announcements that they've made and see whether or not the story has changed at all. For, For example, one of the reasons why the shares might have fallen is of course, interest rates have gone up and so speculative shares have fallen. Um, yeah. But but perhaps what's happened is the company's plans have been delayed uh, or it's going to take longer than they thought or there have been some setbacks to their, uh, to their testing. Uh, and so that could explain why the share price has gone down. Um, yeah. But once – this is a – it's a great question because we had a caller earlier, uh, I think it was Brian, who was asking about, you know, he's about to retire and he was thinking about investing in shares himself. And what your question has highlighted is that it really is a full-time job. You know, it really is something that you have to keep an eye on. Yeah, and they're doing clinical trials and it all, and I'm just sort of wondered if I'm a little bit suckered in or is it actually going to go somewhere well that that depends on the success of their clinical trials you know and there's they're expensive um phase one phase two phase three clinical trials become increasingly more and more expensive and the hurdles that you have to beat uh, are harder the stock takes Um, off on these things when when they get approval yeah when they get approval and you know if it becomes a standard of care then you know then the world's your oyster but um you know these things are are fraught with Mm. you know there's there's plenty of examples of where uh, companies have attempted to cure cancer and haven't succeeded. Good luck, Raylene. Thank you. One three hundred eight hundred triple two. Let's talk about department stores. Do you sure. Think, are they on the way out? Do you think? Oh, I, th- I, I th- mean, the, the predictions of their death have been around yes, haven't they, for yeah. the last ten years or so, but Look, they've sort of come back from the dead. I thought, or have they? I thought when Maya listed. Remember when Maya IPO'd? Hmm. I wrote a piece um, back then. It was for Alan Kohler's Eureka Report. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote a piece saying that it's way overpriced and and department stores are really going to suffer in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure enough, share price went down. Then when the South African Woolworths Group bought David Jones, I wrote another piece saying the same thing. Uh, I think it was in the Australian newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had so much thrown at them, not the least of which was e-commerce. Yeah. You know, it used to be that you went to a department store because they had a variety of products that sa- it saved you from walking a strip of shops or multiple strips of shops to look at whole lots and lots of different shops. You could go into one store, you could find your electronics, you could find your cosmetics, you could find it all in one place. But that concept's been killed by shopping malls. Hmm. The advent of the shopping mall made department stores less attractive because, hey, you're indoors. You're doing exactly what you used to do in a department store, but with even bigger variety. And then the West internet. feels like a huge department store. Indeed. Mm. And then you had, um, then of course you had e-commerce and the mm. internet. And so now your department store's on your computer right in front of you. Uh, and you can, you can click from a, a store in Germany to a store in France, you know, in, in two mm. or three clicks. Uh, and you can shop around the world and it's going to be delivered to you sometimes faster from Germany than from, Hmm. the Parramatta Distribution Centre. So department stores um, department stores are suffering from the lack of relevance that they now have for shoppers. What are the big ones in Australia? The dairy farmers, they're not dairy farmers, David Jones. David Jones Ma- and Maya. Maya. Are the two they're big the ones, two biggest. Yeah. yeah. They have offshoots, aren't they? They're the big W and these other ones too. Yeah, and there's... there's Tar- um, Target. Yeah, they're, they're discount variety stores. They're yeah. not considered department stores Store as stores. such. Mm. They're discount variety stores. But the, de- the department stores, are, it's not so much 
a revolution as an evolutionary um, uh, dinosaur. Right. You know, the, the retailing has changed and it continues Which to change. Which they presumably are riding, aren't they? I mean, they're they're into the into the uh, you know the online market themselves, big time. But unfortunately, they're now comp- the, the 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 internet has leveled the playing field, and the margins aren't as, um, aren't as good. And the margins aren't as good, and the competitive competition's much more intense. Yeah. And you and I now have many, many more options to buy our pair of jeans than mm. we had once before. Um, you know, and 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 what happens now, and you'll see this if anyone goes to a department store, you can you can do this research yourself, and it's you know you might think it fun. Um, I certainly do, but then, you know, I'm one of these strange individuals that enjoys this. But if you go to the ground floor, lots and lots of people looking at the cosmetics and the perfumes and so on. You go up a floor, fewer people. Go up another floor, fewer people. Go to the top floor, hardly anyone there. Mm. John from Charters Towers. G'day, John. G'day, Phil. How are you going? Not bad. Yeah, Roger, how are you? G'day. Very well, thank you. Thanks for calling. I've looked at it. Pleasure. Um, I was interested in share following shares. I did my own investing. I'm looking at shares in Coles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I've sort of followed the market. They don't sort of alter a lot. They're around the $16, $17 mark. They pay a reasonable RPE, I think. What's your opinion of Coles, say Woolworths, Metway, stuff like that? Well, they're in a duopoly, which is the you know is a tick. Um, mm. They used to, back in 2007, before West Farmers bought them, they used to generate a return on equity of about 30%. Uh, which is very attractive. Um, if they get back to doing that again, and I'm not sure how much debt they've been burdened with um, in the spin-off from uh, from West Farmers, um, mm. but if they get to that again with very little debt, uh, then they become an attractive business again. You know, they are stable. They're considered a consumer staple. Um, we're always going to need food. They're conveniently located. They're competitive. Um, so, you know, they've got lots of ticks. It's just about the price that you pay. Um, West Farmers lost a fortune or shareholders lost a fortune uh, from Coles. Um, West Farmers paid $22 billion uh, for Coles in 2007. Um, the business had about uh, between 3 and $4 billion of equity and it was earning about 30% return on equity. Now, if you wanted, if you wanted uh, sorry, it was about. Sorry, I correct, I correct myself. It was about twenty percent return on equity, nineteen point nine percent. If you were happy with a nineteen point nine percent return on your money, you couldn't pay more than about three point six billion dollars. Um, West Farmers paid twenty two billion dollars for that company. Mm. That gave West Farmers shareholders a three and a half percent return on their money. Um, mm. So the higher the price you pay, the lower is going to be your return, uh, and and that's the point. So I think it's a good business. If it's getting back to returning, and I haven't had a look at it recently, but if it's getting back to returning high double-digit returns on equity, that makes it even more attractive. If it has little or no debt, even more attractive. And if you can get it at a great price, that's the bonus. That'll that'll ensure you get a good return. Okay. Much appreciated. Thanks Thanks, very much. Thanks, John. Good on you. Bye. A pleasure. Phil, can I just say the other thing about um, department stores that's Mm. changed for them is it used to be that we trusted brands. Now what's happened is... Shoppers trust influencers. They don't trust brands as much as they trust people talking about brands. Uh, and that's been a big shift. It used to be you trusted David Jones. You trusted the labels that they sold. Now you look to people on Instagram and Twitter and so on and all these other mm. social media uh, platforms for your uh, recommendations about where to buy and what to buy. Right. All right, Jan on the Sunshine Coast. Hi, Jan. Oh, yes, good evening. Thank you for taking my call. Pleasure. Pleasure, Jan. 
Now, I'm 81. Mm -hmm. I do have shares with two companies which um, pay me um, what I think is a good amount to have. Mm -hmm. Um, Due to my age, do you feel I should be better selling uh, both of my shares and using the money? Well, you see, the difficulty in answering that question is I don't know what other money you have, and I don't want you to talk about that on air. Mm. Um, no. I, and I don't know what your financial needs are and what your financial obligations are. What are you worried about, Jan? Um, I'm just thinking, you know, because of my age, um, should I be buying a new car or going on a trip somewhere oh, uh, on the proceeds of those shares? Or just um, letting it sit there and um, and not using it. Well, I don't know what shares you own. Do you, do you want to share with me what shares you own? Yes, if I'm allowed to. Of I course. have Harvey Norman and Coca Cola. Okay. Well, both re- both stable businesses. I mean, Harvey Norman's yes. going to be a cyclical business, so it's going to it's going to go well when the economy goes well and the consumers are spending it. It'll it'll go less well. Um, when the economy's in recession, for example. But um, Jerry Harvey has shown many, many times through history that he's used recessions wisely to uh, to take market share as other companies fall over. So they both businesses have bright prospects, I would say, gen, in a, as a generality. Um, but again, it comes back to knowing um, what your long-term financial needs will be as well as your short-term financial needs. Can I suggest... Well, I don't know if I have long-term because... Oh, you, you, <laughs> well, here's the, the key question, isn't here's, it? Well, here's uh, the danger. You might live longer than you think, and that's know, that's a risk well, that you I'm need to think hoping, about. But you never know, do you? So no, that's right. Talk to if your family. I younger, I would hang on to them because they are good, but because of my age... Should I be selling them and um, making the most of their proceeds? I can't. I cannot. I'm. I'm not allowed legally. Mm. I'm not allowed to advise you on that. I would suggest, in the first instance, talking to family members who's yeah, who family. you respect um, and and who you trust, uh, and then in the second instance, um, find a you know find someone to someone find from a friend or uh, an advisor that they like and trust, and just have a conversation with them. Quickly, I'm Josh. I'm 30 years old. Says my texter, I want to invest in either gold or silver. Oh. And I'm wondering if you have any information that could help me. I want to invest $2,000 a month into it. Okay, so... What do you think about that? Gold is a bet on other people's fear. Hmm. If things are going badly and people are worried about a financial crisis or they're worried about the US dollar, they buy gold. Um, if they're not worried about those things, gold plummets. Um, in 100 years' time, gold will probably be trading where it is today. Um, and you can't do anything with it. Um, so I think if you were going to put 2000 a month into something, put it into something productive, not gold. There you have it. Quickly, Rob from Newcastle. Hi, Rob. Hello. Hi, Rob. Yeah. Uh, question for uh, you, please, about uh, investing for income. This is the major need for most retirees. Indeed. And mm. it's quite difficult to find something that's low risk and reliable and linked to inflation. Yes. I would love to see the government issue, say, inflation-linked bonds in small amounts, maybe yep. tied to the uh, this new social housing future fund, so I, that people could get a guaranteed income with safety. Um, I think that's a big need. 
we're we're in agreement. I've talked about this before. I think when interest rates are very low, it's a, it's a precisely the time for the government to be borrowing money. And as you've pointed out, there's a generation of people who are desperate for income at a higher rate than offered by uh, bank term deposits, for example. Uh, so I think you're on the money. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Uh, it's a good idea, Rob. Um, sorry, Rob, we're going to have to say goodbye because uh, we've got a time constraint here with the news coming up. All right. Uh, no, you're, you're quite right. Something that I think actually would be hugely popular. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. All right. Uh, Roger, good to talk. Uh, yes. And um, Thanks, Phil. You could restart the cold shower, you know. Yeah, I, will, I might give it a go. Um, look, right. I will say people who are looking for income, go and have a look at it. And it might not be appropriate for everyone, but go and have a look at uh, credit income funds. That mm. might be appropriate for some people. Let's talk about it next time. Mm. Okay. Roger Montgomery has been with us. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for the texts. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.